All of you need to listen up this morning because you can hear from my voice that it could disappear so I could. A bit like the lottery hand, you know, it could be you that comes up and finishes the message. So pay attention. <laughs> We're well into our series, Thrive. Some of us will have heard the forerunners to this week's message. Steve started us off with legacy. What's your legacy going to be? Then we had time. How do we use that very finite resource? And then last week, money. And if you've missed any of those messages, you can catch up by going onto the website. So why are we inviting each of us to think about thrive or thriving? The Bible tells us that all of life belongs to God and is on loan to us. We're called to steward what he has given us. So as we get into this new year and series, we want to help you to think about what it means to be good stewards of time, of resources, including money, and this week, our gifts or abilities and the, God, the power that God gives us through those to do things. And to do things in order that we just don't survive, but thrive. This week, we're going to look at Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, the parable of the talents or in some of your translations, the three servants, or in another one, the parable of the loaned money. So Tim's going to save my voice by reading from Matthew 25. I've won the lottery. Right. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. One, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts. With them, the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted to me five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is, what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, 
so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thanks, Tim. So let's summarise a couple of key bits of that story before we get, get to learn what it might teach us here in our place and our time today. So in verse 14 we read, The man called his servants and entrusted his property to them while he was gone. In some translations it was money, but we need to note he entrusted them. He gave them responsibility to look after the property for him. He didn't give it to them for them to do what they wanted with it. And what did he give in verse 15? I think the translation was up there, talked about gold. To one he gave five talents of money to another two, and another one, each according to his ability. Now a talent was a measure of weight. In this case, my Bible commentary tells us that it was silver coins, one talent being between 58 and 80 pounds weight, or 25 to 35 kilograms, a lot of money, a lot of responsibility. One commentator reports that there's 20 years wages labourer, or 350k in today's prices, to which if Steve was here would say, yes, enough to do downstairs. And we read that the servant entrusted with five talents went at once and put it to work and gained five more. As did the servant with two, gaining two more. And the servant given one talent, he dug a hole, albeit a pretty big hole, and hid the talent he'd been entrusted with. And then we read in verse 19, the master returns and settled accounts with them, or in some translations, called them to account for how they had used the money. And to the one who earned five times more, the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the same for the guy with two talents who gained two, but to the one, what does the master say? You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered, etc. And it's worth mentioning here that back then, had this lazy servant put the money in the bank, he would have had to have told the bankers, it's not my money, it's my master's. A bit like today with money laundering, you have to see where your money's come from. So the money had only been entrusted to him, it was still his master's property. And then the master did what? Give that one talent to the one who'd got ten. For everyone who has been... who. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And then, what for the one servant? Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. So what's all this story about? I don't know about you, whether you've come across this parable before or not, but I've often been confused or failed to understand really what it's, what it's all about. And perhaps because I've read it as a single story in isolation from where it is in God's word because it's part of a series of illustrations that Jesus used. So we know at that time, the time of telling this story, Jesus was two days away from his trial and crucifixion. And he'd been teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God and replying to questions such as, when will it be? How will we know? Where will I be? Remember that little story of the disciples' mother, who asked Jesus, can my son sit at your right hand? You know, so people were jockeying and trying to work out what things would be like. And now we have Jesus telling his followers, there will be a day when all of us will be asked to account for what we have done and how we've used our abilities, gifts, and with those, the power that God gives us uh, to carry them out. And this is what the parable is about. What did the servants do with what they'd been given? And how do we use the gifts and abilities God has given us? And I suspect or hope, otherwise I need to go into a dark room and work myself out, do a bit of self-reflection, that some of you, just like me, we read this parable today from our perspective in the here and now without maybe a different lens on that enables us to see things how they were back there and then. And to somehow manage the two together just to get what God wants to reveal for us today. So what do I mean by that? Well, first off, I suppose I struggle with the inequality of this parable. So you've got the first servant who's given five talents according to their ability so the first one gets it because he's the cleverest the second one maybe he's not so clever and then the third the unlucky one who after all couldn't help the fact that he comes from the northeast gets one but surely that doesn't mean he's got to be disadvantaged just because of where he comes from or what he is how can that be a fair start And then because he dared not risk what he'd been given, or more to the point, loaned to him, entrusted to him, he hid it, presumably, to protect it. Whereas the others speculated to accumulate, and then to cap it all, he gets accused of being lazy and thrown into a dark place where he's subject to the emotional pain associated with weeping and grieving and the physical pain you might associate with the gnashing of teeth. Where's the fairness and the equality in that? And that's how I, and I guess we can read that story today from my perspective in the world that I now live in. Because we live in a world today which values individualism and egalitarianism more than anything else. We're encouraged to be strong, to be self-reliant, to be independent. 
The rights of individuals are given the greatest precedence. Individualistic, as in you can be just what you want to be, regardless of what others might think. If you were born a female, but you want to be a male, then be a male. Egalitarian, where everybody should be treated the same, able to get the same and achieve the same as anyone else, have the same rights which are carefully enshrined in law and passionately pursued in our society. A society where everyone's a winner. Think back to that debate over the years about competitions and sports days in schools, you know, where some schools still have it and then, oh no, we can't have competition and everybody's got to win. But we know the truth is that not everybody can be a winner. Last week I did a cross-country race and I was 10 minutes behind the winner. So I was hardly a winner, was I? But the world hasn't always been as it is now. So back there and then, what was society like generally? In sociological terms, it was char characterised more by collectivism than individualism. The importance and value of groups, of family, of community, of tribe, would be more prevalent than now and certainly took precedence over individualism. Back then, not everybody was equal. Most societies through history have been that way. Just think about God, uh, the Jews, God's chosen people. We're definitely not equal to the rest of us here. There were second-class citizens and were Gentiles. Or slaves and free. Back then, you were either free or you were a slave. Working for somebody, possessed by somebody. So against that background, how is this parable or story was used by Jesus? And let's not forget Jesus, because he's thrown into the mix as we try to understand what this story has to say to us today. So we have Jesus, Emmanuel, the Messiah, God with us, stepped into our world at that time and makes this outrageous statement. From Luke 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And since that time, over 2,000 years ago, Christians have pursued equality founded in the belief that Back in Genesis, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. In God's eyes, each one of us here today is equally valued and loved, as different as we are. So how, can the, how then can we thrive with the power and abilities that God gives each of us? And a few points to... Consider, recognize the source of our gifts. This parable is as much, if not wholly, about the giver of these gifts, the master or God, as it is about his servants or us. First of all, the master or God. He loves us. 
He loves all of us so much that he gave up his son Jesus for each one of us. And he gives gifts as he chooses according to our ability and our capacity to use them. And yet, there's a hard truth in there for Ken. He doesn't give them equally. We're only given what God wants to entrust us with and what we have the capacity to handle. In this parable, the servants weren't given the talents of silver to do what they wanted to with it. It was only entrusted, loaned, and they were to steward those gifts in the best way they could for the benefit of others and the master. Elsewhere in the scriptures, back in Genesis again, we read that all life belongs to God and is on loan to us. We're called to be stewards of what he has given us. And we also read that gifts aren't just for our benefit. And with egalitarianism and individualism, gifts are definitely for my benefit, for me to do what I want with them, if it's money, making as much as, it, much as I can with it to get things that I want regardless of whether I need them or at what cost to others. If it's time, it's how do I want to use the time? Do I want to use it for the next experience or the next thing to make me feel good? But the Bible gives us an alternative to individualism. And in Corinthians 12, verse 12 on, we read about that analogy with the body. The body is a unit, though it's made of many parts. And so on then reading, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you either. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. Each should have equal concern for each other. And importantly, each member of the body, unique as it is, gets, it value, gets its value from the head, from Jesus, from the master. And earlier on in that chapter, Paul says, And now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, or the gifts of the Spirit, is given for the common good. So God gives gifts when he chooses, to who he chooses, and for the benefit of all, not just the recipient. And the second thing I think to note from this parable is about attitude. Have we got the right attitude? Now, two of the recipients, any reader of this story would think, well, they must have had the right attitude, mustn't they? Because the master says and did, he rewarded them with additional wealth and a share in the master's happiness. He was clearly pleased with the first two servants. In contrast, the third, think about the attitude of the third servant as compared to the two, the first two. I think at, at best he was skeptical about his master. I mean, after all, he says, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent. I wonder what the servant was really thinking. Stingy master, only given me one talent, the other got five, another mate got two. Why couldn't I have the same gift as they had? He's just a money grabber, taking advantage of us, using us to make more money. Typical, 
Anyway, I hope he doesn't come back. Because if he doesn't come back, I'll be able to dig it up and use it as I will. Because it'll be safe where it is. Why should he have all the good things? We're all entitled to a share, aren't we? So here's a guy, I believe, struggling with the authority of his master. And he's no different than many of us today, I guess. Maybe even some of us here. How many of us like being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, especially when we think we know what's best? This parable gives a different perspective. The attitude of the narrator, Jesus, contrasts with that of the third servant. Because we read in Philippians 2 verse 6, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So a guy who could have claimed equality with God chose not to. The behavior of the third servant shows that he was thinking only of himself. He hoped to play it safe and perhaps even have the talent of silver for himself. And in the process, wasted the opportunity of doing something with that gift entrusted to him, disobeying his master who'd gifted it to him. And the consequences, it was taken away from him and given to one who'd shown that he could use what was given to him. So going back to my struggle with this parable about, I think as large, I think comes about larger because I've been brought up in the world that increasingly believes it's in control of its own destiny, good or bad. In a world where God is largely absent, individualism and pursuit of equality is everything. I'm no more than just a survivor, battling away, surviving either through good fortune, my own efforts, sometimes winning battles with others, occasionally brutal, underhand battles, occasionally or often not being very nice in the way that I deal with, with other people as well. That's the world that I've been brought up in, I think. But this story would challenge us to behave differently, that there is a better way and a way that will enable us to thrive and not just survive in the rat race of life. In Genesis, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything, ultimately, is his. What we do, what we have, our possessions, our abilities, our time, is entrusted to us by him. So a question to ponder, do I have an attitude of gratitude for what I've been entrusted with, or am I envious, jealous of others and what they have, or what they have not, and what I've got, not got? Two weeks ago, Anne and I went to a funeral of a man who was a Christian. My word, in a way, it doesn't matter who he was. He used to be at Duke Street as the minister there a good few years ago. If you heard what was said about him, he was brilliant teacher. He was never critical, always encouraging. He was good at DIY, including fixing cars. Up to his death through cancer, he read the Bible in Hebrew in the morning and in the afternoon in English. He always carried tracts in his top pocket and there was a picture on the order of service and it was his wife's favourite picture because at every opportunity he was handing out tracts and declaring or sharing the gospel, the good news. He spoke 
fluently in a couple of languages and to cap it all, as well as teaching his grandkids to read music, he was an accomplished accordion player. My envy peaked when we got to the DIY bit. Because as, as I follow in the footsteps of my dad, who was renowned as a bit of a bodger, that's about as good as I get at DIY. And there I was in the middle of preparing for today on how to thrive in the power and abilities that God's given each one of us. And I'm feeling pretty useless by comparison to this guy who almost walked on water. And then compounded by a couple of days where it seemed everything I touched or did backfired or blew up in my face. And well, I probably needed that like a hole in the head because I had to rewrite what I'd written already for today, leading us to our third point of be obedient to the master. We've already heard that two of the servants were obedient, one way less so. What are you? What are we? If I stick with our today culture of individualism and egalitarianism, then I sink into self-pity as to why I wasn't as good as that guy that was in that box when he lived. Why had I never been given the gift of playing a musical instrument? I'd love to play the piano or being a brilliant teacher, always being encouraging rather than criticizing Pete for what he didn't do or achieve or or having the wealth of pos and possessions of that person or this person or winning every race that I ever enter and a whole host of things I'm not or I don't have thinking life's just not fair and really I know if I'm not prepared to learn how to read music all the giftings in the world might as well be given to somebody else and that self-pity, jealousy for what others have or do is in every way disobedient to God. Because what I need to do is accept with grateful hands what God blesses me with, what God blesses you with. And that doesn't mean apologizing for what I can't do or having an attitude of, oh well, there's not much that I can do or there's nothing I can do. So be obedient to the master and recognize what he has given us. And finally, how to grow those talents and thrive, because some of you might be sitting there, or like I did after the funeral. So what's, what are my gifts? What are my abilities? Well, just a little bit of a pointer. Even today, after we've finished, ask God to bless you and reveal maybe for the first time, or remind you, or refresh his gifts to you. Has he blessed you with a spiritual gift that maybe you used once? or for a season, but have not used for a while? Is it healing? Is it prophecy? Is it encouraging? Is it teaching? What do you enjoy doing? Because I really believe God gives us gifts for enjoyment. He doesn't give us gifts to make us miserable. So what do you enjoy doing? Is it cooking? Is it hospitality? Is it serving? Is it socializing? Might be sat there thinking, Ken, but I haven't got the time. I know what you're getting at, but I haven't got the time. Well, I had a season of that it was called work but God did bless us with more than I needed at that time so we were able to give some of the proceeds of that work as a gift from God what do others say that you're good at you know even I hear occasionally people say oh Ken you're really good at I might not like to hear it or get embarrassed oh don't say that or if you haven't ask somebody close to you what am I good at don't tell us the things I can't do what do you think I can do what do you think I do do well? And where the two meet 
things that you enjoy doing and people say you're really good at that, that might just be a hint as to where God's gifting you at this present time and wants you to focus, focus on it. So let's all commit today to using our God-given gifts and abilities and the power that comes with, that, with those gifts. And I want to close just with a little story, because again, we might all be feeling a bit like that lowly worm in comparison to the guy who has a brilliant eulogy given describing his life. And it's about somebody called Albert Lexi, who I guarantee nobody here has heard of unless you were here in the first service. Albert Lexi was a shoe shiner in Pittsburgh in the States. And he heard about a children's hospital in his town that needed money. And he must have been feeling like that lowly worm thinking, I've already got enough to survive on, never mind. But I'll commit to giving the tips I get for a period of time to the children's hospital. And he did the first time he did it. He raised $730, which he gave to the hospital. And then he decided, I could donate all of my tips for the rest of my life to that same good cause, which he did. And at the time of the this book being written by a vineyard pastor about 78 years ago, he gifted $150,000 to that hospital. And I use it because it caught my attention and thought, wow. He must have thought that was pretty insignificant given the tips, not his salary, his tips to the hospital. But it's a great example of being servant-hearted, just like Jesus. So let me close in prayer. And then I didn't at the first service, but I'm sure the people here, people that you recognize either as leaders or group, home group leaders, you know, to pray with you. But I'm going to pray that each of us want, each of us here would at least leave today committing to thinking or looking at what's God gifted me with at this present time, at this season in my life. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you allow us to struggle with it on occasions. Thank you for your spirit who reveals in your time what you would want us to learn from this. But I do pray that you would reveal to each one of us today something of our gifting and ability that comes from you and how you would have us use it in the days and weeks and months ahead, or even a holy life-transforming realization that that's what you've given me to do for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.